dive right in. Our title of the sermon today is Famine, Flounder or Furish. I know I'm going to get all my F's and L's mixed up. I got a little anyway, so but uh, we'll slow down and pronunciate. Um, so our scripture is found in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but for the hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Sing with, sing with me. Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Thank you. Please be seated. Man. Just want to say the victory's ours and close the book and let's, and let's go. Um, that's great. So this week, as many of you know, it's just been an extremely um, odd week for me. So last Thursday, um, my family and I, we left and we traveled up to Ohio to visit Renee's grandmother on her mom's side. And we spent two days there. And then we drove over to Illinois and spent two days with her grandmother on her dad's side. And then her dad came from Idaho over, met us in Illinois. And then on Monday, they started their trek back to Idaho to spend some time with them. And then I drove the 11 hours back to the great state of West Virginia. And let me tell you, I did not hit traffic until I hit the northern panhandle of West Virginia. And then I got through that, and I didn't hit traffic again until exit 12 on I-81. <laughs> I'm like, man, almost made it. But I only hit traffic in West Virginia. Um, but they're definitely having a, a good time. I got some pictures of them by Mount Rushmore and different things. So, so that was good. And they're going to spend a few weeks out there. And we planned it that way because I've got a, a big meeting Tuesday. You know, one could argue it's the most important day of my career, my young career as we're having our global board meetings. So all of our executive leadership teams coming in Tuesday. Our majority owners are coming in Tuesday to see everything. So we knew it was going to be a busy time. And... Um, with all those people come in, I think it's very good to have a, a scriptural, a sound scriptural base and realize that even in the world we respect people, right? Um, but they all have the same value in the eyes of God. And that really helps me kind of stay grounded that no matter who you are, no matter what title you are, you're still a child of God. And uh, that just helps me and, um, as we go through that. I, I knew that the time preparing this week would be odd, and it has been, because I haven't, you know, typically I try to do a block here, a block here, a block here, but this week has been, I, I knew I wanted to preach on this scripture since I found it several weeks ago, and so I've just kind of collected note cards and collected note cards, and, and this week's just been crazy, but I got the opportunity, because it's really quiet at my house, really quiet at my house, right? So I got the opportunity to sit down yesterday and, and pretty much just take all day. It's been a long week, and, but I got to sleep in yesterday because I'm starting to, fight a, uh, starting to fight a sinus thing. You can feel it coming. So I drank a lot of water. I just rested, relaxed, and stayed in God's Word almost all day yesterday. Except grilling out a little steak, me and my little dog sit there and had supper last night, right? Um, but something in my life has definitely been missing this week, right? And it's, it's my wife and it's my kids. Um, but we got a few more weeks. Something's been missing for sure. Um, so that's what's been missing in my life. But today we're going to talk about 
what the most important thing that we could be missing in our lives, and that is the Word of God. And that's what our scripture is about here, about a famine that we will not be able to hear the Word of God. And in my mind, a total separation... Chris, we don't talk and plan, but man, you do such a great job. We're just so connected. Um, but I know it's like you said that, right? But in my mind, a total separation from God for eternity is the definition of hell, right? That's the definition of hell when we're separated from God. And, and that is just what drives this message and just has a sense of urgency in, um, in why I want to bring this message. Um, you, you preach it to yourself throughout the week, right? You preach it to yourself. Um, and, and then you get to share it um, in the pulpit today. So um, thank you. So today we're going to look at some physical famine, some spiritual famine, and then see if we'll be able to flounder or flourish as we dive into God's Word. So as we begin, a famine is a scarcity of food, a general want of provisions, not enough resources to sustain life. So our first, our first noted famine is in Genesis 12.10. So in Genesis 12.10 it says, Now there is a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So the whole point of this is just to simply show that famine started here in 12.10 in Genesis. Now if you read on for a few verses, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful appearance, and the Egyptians see you. They will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. Now that passage has nothing to do with the sermon today. But it's too close to not put in the free plug for marriage matters in two weeks. <laughs> because this is what Pastor Huff used um, last marriage matter class about having your spouses back. So I was this close, I had to put in the shameless free plug. You got that. He didn't charge it. I didn't, I didn't charge him for that. Um, but then also last week, I was, we watched an episode of Andy Griffith before the kids left, and it was Opie's first party, and he got to go stag or drag. I don't know if y'all remember that, but stag, the guy goes by himself. Drag, you drag a girl along with you. It's their first boy-girl party. I will be attending Marriage Matters next week, stag. So you can come to it, stag or drag. So you don't have to have a spouse, but you can come to Marriage Matters. Only 27, all right? So that is the first famine in Genesis 12.10. And then the largest famine recorded in the Bible was the, um, in Genesis 41.53-57. And this is the one um, that Joseph helped guide the people through. In 42, verse 41, verses 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do it. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now, this was the known earth at the time, right? It wasn't just one little city, one little country. It was over all the earth, right? So I got to thinking about this famine. And so I did a little bit. I was like, 
Well, how long can somebody last without food or the chips just start gravitating towards you? How long can you last without food? Right? Right? So he just gives me all this material. Right? I'm like, man, how do I feel this? But, um, right? So a common person can last anywhere from 8 to 21 days without food. Some people have lasted longer. It's like, wow, 8 days without food. It's like, whew, wow. Right? But come to find out, God is the almighty creator. You know, our body typically takes the food we eat, turns it into glucose or energy. You know, our body gets energy from that. Well, after 8 to 12 hours with no food, your body starts to change. And then your body starts taking, I think it's glycogen or something. I can't, I'm not anybody, nurses, doctor, biologist, right? Glycogen from your liver and stuff. And then it starts converting it for energy, right? And then after 24 hours of no food, then it starts um, attack, not attacking, but pulling from other parts of your body, right? So God designed it that way to last 8 to 21 days. Now, how long can you last without water? Well, about three days. Right, about three days. Our body is composed about 60% water. We have to have it. Um, now my kids and family are here, so I started to have a soda this morning. And then I remember Mary said my kids could not have soda before the play because they might burp. And so I grabbed a soda this morning, and then I thought about Mary. And I was like, oh, I better put that back because I don't want to burp up here. <laughs> in, in the middle of it. See, I love, I love how this stuff comes together. Right? But we lose water, of course, when we go to the restroom or we sweat or we even lose water when we exhale, right? But we have to have food, we have to have water to survive. Um, so both of these things, right, food and water, um, are, those are relatively short times of three days, eight days, right? So we have to plan ahead and make sure that we have the resources that we need in case we start to lack um, in supplies, food, and water. So some of these famines were due to natural causes, like some of them that I just shared. And some famines are due to divine relations, okay? Divine relations. And what I mean by that is, um, I want to look back at Amos chapter 4. So if you turn with me, because I want you to uh, read with me a little bit. Um, we, we hinted on this a few weeks ago. Um, but um, in chapter 4, verse 6, okay? Um, turn with me because I want you to, uh, there's a common line at the end of each phrase, and I'll call it out, but I'm going to read through this, and I want you to say that line with me, all right? So Amos chapter 4, verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities and lack of bread in all of your places, everybody with me, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord, all right? So I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. On one field would have rain, and on the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander in another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Everybody say it. You did not return to me, declares the Lord. A couple more. I struck with you blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locust devoured. Everybody. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. But yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now that last line there really sticks out. Like, prepare to meet your maker. 
because the time is coming. Right? But this, what this passage here is showing, right, this is a divine relational type of famine. God puts these things in place in an attempt to turn people's hearts because their physical needs are no longer satisfied. Right? To turn their hearts, to bring them back to Him, but they didn't do it. In this passage, they didn't turn around. They were fairly, what you might call, stubborn. Right? I think it's very similar right, to the way that we often are. Right? When God tries to tell us something, and do we listen, and do we turn around? Do we go the other way? No, we don't. No, we don't. So it sounds a lot like us. So these Israelites at this time of the passage in Amos, right, they're just failing and flailing without God, right? So we've got natural famines, we have divine relational famines, and then the one that we have in our scripture today is what's called a figurative famine, right? A figurative famine. This passage has resonated in my head for the last several weeks because the worst part of the famine is not food, not missing water, but as I said, missing God. Without the word of God in our lives, we will flounder. And just to be clear, to make sure I'm not talking about the fish, right? Not flounder like a fish, right? But flounder as a verb is to struggle to move or obtain footing. Thrash about wildly or to proceed to act clumsily or ineffectively, right? So without God in our lives, it will be a spiritual famine that could not last just one year not last seven years, but could last our entire lives. And that's my cause for concern. That's my cause for distress and my passion to share this mission with you, message with you today. Because I don't want to live, our, I don't want to live my life separated from God, and I don't want anyone here to let, have their lives um, led without God, but led rather by the world. Because a life separated from God and attached to the false promises of this world is not a life that anybody wants. Recently, um, I've shared with a few folks, and they shared with me, right, some uh, popular names out in culture or high-profile Christians that have renounced their faith. Anybody seen or heard that in the headlines, right? That have, yeah, that have renounced their faith. Um, the first one was Joshua Harris, the author of Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. Anybody read that? A lot of people have read that. It's about spiritual purity and relationships and dating in the Christian world. Um, so, Brian, if you could put that post up for us. We're going to read through a piece of this. Oh, that's the next one. That's the next one. Hold on. There you go. All right, Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your view of God. Now, let me put the Bible down, because I'm not reading from the Bible, okay? This is this man's post. Sorry, I felt almost dirty doing that. All right. There's beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your view of God. I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to the list now to the LGBTQ plus community. I want to say that I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways 
that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope that you can forgive me. Right. And so this, this gentleman, Josh, he was, a, he was a mega pastor at a church not far from here in Maryland. Uh, mega church, I say mega church. He was a pastor at a mega church. Right, so he had 2,000 plus members in his church. Right, so he stepped down in 2015. In 2018, he disavowed his book and he stopped the publication of his book altogether. And then 2019, he went through a divorce. And then a couple weeks later, he um, denied his faith. Right? And his post shows to me that he's standing with the culture of this world, not with the God that created it. And then I got hit with another one um, this past week. Not hit with. I mean, it, my, my soul longs for these people, right? Um, so we're not going to dive into, you know, their situations much. Um, but the next one is Marty Sampson. So Marty, we've heard his songs. He's a songwriter and a worship leader. Um, specifically, he's with Hillsong United. And so part of his post um, was, this is the next one, Brian, time, to, time for some real talk. This, this one was a little bit looser. Um, but time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like what, brother, like what bothers me is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. Right? He puts that out there that he is at peace with the world. That's a problem. Because the world and God don't go together because the culture is just sending a totally different message. I don't want to be at peace with this world. Well, chill. When I'm at peace with this world, I feel like those coals are under my feet. There's, it just doesn't match, right? It just doesn't match because I feel like the devil's got me. I go back to, you know, we showed that video, like, um, was it, I don't know if it was God's Not Dead, um, but he was, you know, he was living in his own jail cell and didn't know it, right? And the door was open when we leave it, when we live at peace in this world, it's like that. Um, so, so Marty is flandering, floundering and is in another sad situation. Now, it's not my place to judge any of these people, and neither is it yours, but we should simply pray for both of these so that their relationships with Jesus could be restored. So, thankfully, not most of us live in mainstream culture, right? As far as, well, mainstream media. We live in it, right? Um, but we're not be the ones that make headlines, but nonetheless, our struggles are real, right? They're not on the headlines, but they're real. So to ask yourself and turn towards you a little bit, so how are you doing? How is your walk? Are you floundering around in your faith? Do you feel like you're walking around in the dark? Our passage today says that people are wandering from sea to sea. I don't know why it says north to east, probably the way the country is, but I think north to south, right? But they're wandering, right, to the extremes. They're running to and fro. Are you looking high and low? So we have a uh, part of our family, like I said, that moved out west because they weren't happy. They weren't happy here, okay? Not here in this area, but here on the east coast, right? And... I've been told or texted too many times this past week that West is the best, East is the least. Right? Too many times. And for those that fish and so your worm, you can know this for your worms. When the wind comes from the West, the fish bite the West. And when the wind comes from the East, they bite the least. Just so you know that. 
Right? So, um, but the <laughs> it's the winds. There's another excuse, right? If you don't catch a fish, it's the winds' fault. Right? So, but they weren't happy here. They thought they would be happy there. And guess what? They're not happy there. Right? Because a place, a thing, can never bring happiness. It's simply a relationship with Jesus that allows us to take those stairways, stair steps to heaven. Um, too many times they let the culture drive them, but we let the culture drive us, right? Um, we let the media tell us what to wear. We let the media tell us how to think, how to act, what to buy. And so on the way back from Illinois, it was 10 hours and 53 minutes. Right? I made it a little over 11. But I texted Huff the night before, and I said, Huff, I need some help on some podcasts because I got a long ride. And he sent me a nice list. Thank you. Right? So I listened to 11 hours of podcasts from various people. Right? And then um, one of them that I like to listen to was Dave Ramsey. Right? So he's the author of Total Money Makeover and Financial Peace University. And I think we did that a few years back. And um, I want to do it again because I'm not as fired up as I, as I should be about it. Right? But um, Financial Peace University, you, you can debate pros and cons of the system, but I know it works. Um, and many people can attest to it other than me. But his plan talks about walking through his little baby steps, right, on a path to become debt-free. He bases it on Proverbs 22.7, which says the borrower is slave to the lender. And one of the mottos of his program is to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Right? You make sacrifices today that the culture tells you that you have to have. You say no to that so that you can grow your wealth. And along the way, guess what? You get to give it away. Right? You get to give it away. His website says this. Giving is one of the most important and rewarding parts of Total Money Makeover. Once you are completely debt free, you have much more money to spend, invest, and give. Just remember that money given produces more joy than it could ever buy. Money given produces more joy than it could ever buy. I like that. Um, one of his baby steps and something that kind of connected in my head, hopefully I didn't steal it from somebody. I thought I made it up. I don't know if it was a different font or something, but I thought I made it up and I like it, so I was going to share it. But one of his baby steps four, he talks about investing in your 401k. Right? And um, I got to thinking about, are we investing in our spiritual 401k? What is our retirement plan from this earth? It is where? Heaven. Are you investing in your spiritual retirement fund? I don't feel like I'm putting enough in some days. Right? So, you know, Matthew 6, 19 is a popular verse. Right? It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So are you investing in your spiritual 401k? So the striving to obtain more stuff in the world is one of the things that causes us to wander away from God. I actually, I saw, I love how God just says, here's an illustration for you. Um, I was coming this morning, I got past right the middle way intersection, and I was like, well, that's a pretty big yard sale. And I got this big, not big, but a green neon sign that says, crap must go. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, I could easily use that, right? Because how much do we spend using time? And then at the end of the day, after a few years you've used it, it's all just reduced to a green poster board sign that says crap must go. Right? But how much time and energy do we invest to get that stuff? Right? Um, there are other reasons that we wander away from God other than just money. Um, we are looking for success, but who really defines success? We're looking for honor, but who really defines honor? We're looking for greatness, but who defines greatness? We claim that we have morals, but who defines morals? The world uses a megaphone, and I thought about bringing a megaphone, but I thought it might not work too well with this, right? right? But the world uses a megaphone to blast out what success looks like, to blast out what greatness looks like, and to tell us what morals we should have. The world tells us this. This quote, I found this quote this week as I was cleaning off the bookshelf um, this week. There's a book called Reclaiming Morality in, in America by William Murchison. All right. So but what, what I just say, I said that there's a megaphone that the world uses to yell the message to us loud and clear. Right. Every day we get hit by it. But he writes this. Divine thunder, the word of God, divine thunder has become a low growl, ESPN update, has become a low growl on the distant horizon. Its decibel level is akin to an empty stomach. Do you get that? Divine thunder has become a growl on the distant horizon. It's decibel level akin to that of an empty stomach. So the voice of God used to be heard loud and clear in our culture, but today it's been reduced to my stomach's growling. And that was sad when I read that. But you can't deny it. You, can't, you cannot deny it. Now you can hear God, hopefully we hear God louder than other people that don't know Christ. Hopefully we hear him louder. But I guarantee you there's some days that all of us don't hear him. There's some days that we don't hear him. So the world and the Bible are two different extremes. And if you live solely by the physical standards, you will be living in a spiritual famine. A place where there will always be thirst and hunger for more. You will continue to flounder throughout your life in which you will never have a solid footing. And you'll be fearful for what's coming around the next turn. It's not a good place to be, nor a place that I want to be or I want you to be. So when we have the time of famine, we can flounder or we can flourish. All right? And I want to turn to, um, actually, I want to go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I want everybody to go with me to Psalm 63. Um, and read this, because this is where I was not planning on going, but sometimes God takes you there. In Psalm 63. Psalm 63 has a lot in it that will show us what we need to do to flourish in a time of famine. So um, I'm going to read it in its entirety, so please follow along um, with me. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land 
where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him exult, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. Okay. So when I read that <clears throat> this week, there was... Um, Actually, when I read it yesterday, there were just several things that jumped out to me about how we can survive. And the first one is, uh, the first step is to seek Him. Seek Him. All right. um, Pastor uh, Carter from our church in North Carolina um, used this analogy. I always liked it. He used it a few times. But he said that, um, not analogy, but illustration, right? But this young couple that always sat together. They would hold hands in the truck, right? This is the single cab truck. They would always hold hands. She would sit in the middle seat, right? And they would always hold hands. And as they got older, right, she says, she leans over to him one day and says, Honey, why don't you hold my hand anymore? And the guy says, Well, honey, I ain't the one that moved, right? I'm not the one that moved. And that's like, you know, God stays in the same spot, right? But a lot of times we move away from him, right? And then we ask God, Well, where did you go? Or why did you leave me? But God never moves. Right? Um, we said this this morning, but He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's a promise that we can hold fast to. Um, we have to look upon a sanctuary, and at this time, you know, the, the world that's around us, and we have to look for the. We always look for the bad things. I don't know why. If you scroll over on your phone. 9.9 .9 out of 10 things, the headlines or the paper you read is all negative. I don't know why we're so inclined to, to look for that, but we have to seek God in this world that we have because he's the ultimate creator of it all. From the inchworm to the mighty oak, he created it all. Um, in verse 6, it says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Right. So this is one thing where um, a couple weeks ago, I decided to change up my, um, change up my routine. That's where, change my routine in the morning. So I used to wake up. I share this example, but think about how it can apply to your life for sure. So I used to. Um, I was like, I want to listen to a song because my radio kept going in and out. It would like go off and psh, 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 or some mornings, I, and some mornings it wouldn't even go off at all. Um, I just had a hard time with my alarm clock. I was like, well, I want to wake up to a song. So I, I chose Greater by Mercy Me. It's a very appropriate song because it starts out, bring your tired. And most of us are tired when we wake up in the morning, right? After the first couple of mornings, I was like, this really doesn't really make me want to get up, right? But so I changed that. I started waking up to the song for my alarm clock. And um, then I would go take my shower, brush teeth, get dressed. I'd sit down. I'd, I'd read the word a little bit, jot down some thoughts then check messages and, and go to work. But when I changed this, just like now, right? Just like now, 
Okay? I would grab my phone in the morning after the song would go off, but then messages would be there. Right? And then work messages started to go before shower, get dressed, word of God. Okay? And then I realized that I was running out of time for God's word and jotting down my thoughts. Just by a simple little change. I was like, oh, I listen to this song, and I'll get me, you know, get me going. Um, I was like, I need to change that. Right? And so I downloaded the, actually, I already had it, but the Bible app, you can send yourself right, messages. So I get up at 6. Um, so at 5.59, it sends me the word, the, the passage of the day. Right? A lot of people do that, do that. So at 5.59. So when I grab my phone, unless somebody texts me between 5.59 and a half and 6 o'clock, it's the first thing on my phone. Right? And then so I wake up to the song, I hear the scripture, and that makes me grounded to make sure I spend that time with God every day and not let the world and distractions get into the way. A small thing, but then it helps you focus on God. So think about those small things that you might be able to do in your life. All right, the second way, the first way was to seek God. Always seek God. He never moves. The second way is to realize and relish in his steadfast love. Okay? Realize and relish in his steadfast love. Just like God never changes, his love for you will never change. Never change. No matter the circumstances or situation. We talked about parents and how they treat their kids and what you would say. Sometimes you might pass out, right? But we always will love our children. Just like God will always love us. My favorite line from Billy Graham, and there are many, is the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that quote in its entirety, I think, still speaks today to our culture. The ground at the foot of the cross is level, and it touches my heart that when I see white standing shoulder and shoulder with blacks at the cross. Right? God's love extends to every person, every race, every person it extends to. And that's where the culture doesn't want us to believe that. But it's true. It is in the word of the God. It is in the word of God. So we have to leverage what we have for God and others to show how much we love others around us. Paul, in his time, challenged and contradicted the cultural message of love then and today by his passage in Romans 12, 9. I'll read a little bit of that. Romans 12, 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And then I'll skip down to verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? You must love your friends and your foes. I hate this passage. Because it's hard. Love your friends and your foes. You know, I'm not going to elaborate too much on this point, but I think two weeks ago, you know, Pastor shared that message about loving people in this flock and loving people out there, right? No matter if they're your friend or foe, right? We have to love each other. And that's just a, a key concept that if you want to flourish in times of famine, your love can't stop for other people. What's our sign say out there? Come on now. You got it, right? If your love 
If you don't love in a time of famine, that container will become corroded. And what is that container? Us, right? You get a brownie point. Us, right? Okay. So the, um, the first one is always seek him. The second one is to relish in his steadfast love. And the third one, to flourish in a time of famine, is to surrender to God. Surrender. So verse 4, back in Amos. Excuse me. No, no. Nope, sorry. Verse 63. Pat, ah, sorry. Psalms 63, verse 4. Okay. It says, So I will bless you as long as I live. In, my, in your name I will lift up my hands. I will lift up my hands. Okay. I have a hard time lifting my hands in worship. It's probably because I sat at a little Methodist church and we never said anything and we never did anything and we didn't even say amen. Go ahead, soak it up, because that's what it was. Right? So I've learned, you know, that I can be me, right, a little bit more. But I'm still vulnerable. Right? I still feel vulnerable, right? Um, but, could, right, this is, this is, a, is, you know, you're trained in body language, right? When somebody stands here like this, are they open to you? Nope, right? I've got to this point. I can raise one hand. I can raise one hand, and then I think, I ain't picking on Brother Carl, but like, man, Brother Carl can do it, I can do it, right? I mean, that, that's, but it's like, yes, it's like, it is a, that is just like a total surrender, right? But people in war, right? People in war, right? When they surrender, do they come out like this? No, what do they do? They come out like this, right? They come out just like this. Um, a good quote, Adam Hellyer writes, when we come to God in worship, lifting our hands is a physical demonstration of the surrender in our heart and mind of His Lordship. Lifting our hands is also a form of supplication. Like a man, like a man drowning in water, we lift our hands to be saved. Unlike in war, where surrender means captivity and humiliation, surrender to God means freedom to be raised up and to live life to its full. That was such a great quote. So raising our hands in worship, I'm not saying everybody's got to raise their hands to worship. It's, it's, it's you. It's individual relationship, however God um, is touching your heart. But it says in the scripture, Psalms 134.2, lift your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Right? Bless the Lord. That's the first time I ever did that, by the way. All right? I'm sitting there, I'm like, am I a hypocrite back there when I only raised one hand earlier? So you know how stuff gets in your head. You think about it, you're preaching to yourself, right? All right, but raising our hands is a sign of surrender, and we must always surrender to the Word of God. We cannot surrender to the world around us. So um, I talked about the two people earlier um, that were floundering in their faith. Um, another one that garnered media attention um, he said he didn't plan on it, but it was John Cooper. And he's the lead singer of the Christian rock band Skillet. Uh-oh, you must like Skillet over there. All right. Um, and he said this in response to a couple of those. He said, it's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence power of, God, of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. Write that down. Just write that down. Truth over feeling. Truth 
over emotion. Write that down. Because that, that is, I, I could have just said that today and I would have been happy for you to take that away. Truth over feeling. Truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who do not supremely value truth. Who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. This is well said. I want to grow closer to God every day. Do I get distracted? Yes. Do I get worn down? Yes. We all do. That is one of the most humbling parts of standing before you is, I'm no greater than you. We are all children of God. And we cannot get wrapped up in feelings or emotions. We have to let the truth and the Word of God be our benchmark. So if we want to flourish in the time of famine, we cannot surrender ourselves to the world, but must surrender it to the Word of God. So folks, today my passage in Amos that we, that we chose, um, it scares me because it's so true about how our country is struggling morally and spiritually. It's struggling. Um, it explains why some of us are running to and fro with no sense of purpose, no sense of direction. And there's a spiritual famine among us now, just like God said there would be, that has left us hungry and thirsty. Do you want this water? Jesus told a crowd at Capernaum in John chapter 6, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Brothers and sisters, do you want this bread? In order to flourish in the time of famine, we must seek God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Stand in His everlasting love and surrender to Him. Let's stand.